RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I am your host, Vincent Hill, and this is the very first episode of Beyond the Badge for 2018. Can you believe it? We are already the second day into a new year. Man, 2017 blew by so fast that I can't believe we're already in 2018. And I I hope everyone had a very safe and happy new year. I hope no one was out there doing what they shouldn't as far as driving while intoxicated or under the influence of something else. And you know what I'm talking about. But I hope everyone under the sound of my voice had a very safe, happy, and fun New Year's Eve. And I hope you brought in the new year the way you intended to. I had a very relaxing one, actually. Uh, Stayed on the couch, watched some horror movies with some people very close to me uh, in my life. And, you know, that's how we brought in the new year. Had a little bit of uh, Bacardi and Coke. Didn't do anything too big. Went out to dinner earlier that day. Had my favorite hibachi. Uh, Went back to the house. Got in some comfortable clothes. And that's how we brought in the new year. Of course, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. uh, Again, visiting friends. And, of course, with this cold front that is sweeping the East Coast, it was about 12 degrees, I believe, with the wind chill. I think they said the feel-like temperature was about minus four. So I don't know about you, but I definitely wasn't going to be out in that type of weather. Uh, I did that once before in my life at Fort Drum, New York, uh, where it would get 35 to 40 below, but that was only because Uncle Sam made me do it. Otherwise, once it starts getting down below 30 degrees, I tend to be inside or I tend to go somewhere south for a few days, of course, so I can warm up and get a little bit of heat uh, before I get back to the cold. Uh, But again, it's 2018 already. Uh, There were a few cities that ended 2017 on a high note and not the high note that they would want. And I want to focus on one because there's a lot to cover tonight. I want to talk about uh, the ambush shooting that happened out in Colorado on Christmas, or I'm sorry, on New Year's Eve. Uh, Four deputies were shot. One was killed. Two civilians were shot by an army veteran and all the signs were there. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about uh, this latest police shooting out in uh, Wichita, Kansas. And it was a result of something known as swatting. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard about what swatting is, but I'll get into that. But I first want to talk about Baltimore, Maryland. Again, they ended on a high note, uh, but unfortunately that high note uh, was 343 murders in 2017. So that brings the annual homicide rate there in Baltimore to its highest ever. That's roughly about 56 murders per 100,000 people, which has shrunk over decades because no one really wants to live there. And Baltimore currently has about 615 residents. So, of course, the murder rate went up. Uh, There's a lot of blame game Uh, going around. You know, some people say it's because of the drugs, the cash, and payback-type murders that have led to these murders. Uh, Other groups are saying it's because uh, police 
aren't doing anything. And, of course, other groups are saying it's because of the economic status there in Baltimore. But I always dispel that rumor and that myth rather and say, you know, you can start with nothing and build to something. It doesn't mean you have to turn to a life of crime because of your economic status. Uh, You know, my personal feelings, and, you know, I said this years ago, and I said it on one of the national news networks uh, when this whole Freddie Gray thing was going on. I said, listen, don't be surprised if police start to become less proactive and only reactive. And, of course, when police are just reactive, there's nobody out there patrolling the streets looking for the bad guys that had the guns and looking for these gangbangers that had the guns and looking for these dope dealers that had the guns. So, of course, Freddie Gray happened in 2015. And if you notice, since 2015 and Freddie Gray and the protests and the riots and the Black Lives Matter and all that stuff that happened in that city, and especially the six officers that were charged in his murder and later acquitted, if you notice, crime rate went up. The murder rate went up in 2016, and it peaked again in 2017. And my personal opinion is, again, police are being less proactive and being reactive because if you're talking about a city that has 343 murders in 2017, and if you look at the population of where these murders are occurring, it's 99% African-American. When you're dealing with that and you see what these six officers went through to arrest someone that they believed at the time was committing a crime and ran from police, do you really want to be involved with catching a bad guy that has a gun that you may have to shoot? Because then you may be the next person deemed a racist because you were doing your job and you used deadly force to protect yourself and the lives of other officers and the lives of of the public. So 343 murders, 99% of that is black on black crime. Yeah, I would say police aren't being as proactive as they need to. Now, of course, police, their job is to protect and serve. I did it for many years. But at some point, you get tired of becoming a stereotype. You get tired of becoming a label. You get tired of being thrown into this group simply because of doing your job. Not to mention, if you want to talk murders and you want to talk these killings, let's not forget the illegal guns that get brought in from other places like Philly or like New York that get brought into Baltimore. So you got a rash of illegal guns on the street that police really can't track anyway until they're used in a crime. So you got guns, you got bad guys, and you have victims. Guns, bad guys, and victims. Now, granted, some of those victims were probably doing bad things, but that is irrelevant because they were a murder victim. So how do police in a city... That if anything goes, I won't even say wrong, if any police incident involves force, you're in a city where you know they're going to riot over one person 
who died from a neck injury unrelated to anything those officers do. So how do the Baltimore police then combat 300, at least 343 people, unless there was somebody that was killing multiple people with these guns, at least 343 people that, for all intents and purposes, look just like Freddie Gray. How do you combat that? Do your job effectively and not have to worry about being the next person on CNN and being accused of excessive force and being a racist thug and everything else that we saw in Baltimore and Ferguson and Chicago and Minneapolis and all of these other other cities. How do police combat that in the city of Baltimore? And, and the proof is in the pudding, as as they say. Uh, arrest in Baltimore declined to lowest levels in years since the Freddie Gray incident. Now, again, I know the job of police is to protect and serve. And when I was doing that job, I was running and gunning and I didn't care what people thought about police. I was out there. I was being proactive. That never changed, no matter how people felt about me. But at some point, what do you want? What do you want these officers to do? Because it's damned if they do, and damned if they don't. Because if they do, again, they're racist, they're thugs, they're untrained, they use excessive force. If they don't, they get blamed for the crime rate. They get blamed for the murder rate. They get blamed for all the drugs on the street. Well, it's not the police that are out doing the murders, the robberies selling the drugs, it's the citizens. And it goes back to what I always say when people say we need police reform, we need police reform in Baltimore, and the DOJ went in and they said that the Baltimore police were unfair to its citizens and they violated civil rights. And Well, who's saying that now? Because if police are not being proactive and arrests are down to prove that they're not being proactive, whose fault is it? Now, it's not police reform that the city of Baltimore needs. Obviously, at 343 murders for the year of 2017, it's crime reform that the city of Baltimore needs. It's getting illegal guns off the streets that the city of Baltimore needs. You see, while they were trying to charge these six officers in the death of Freddie Gray, who died from an unrelated neck injury, what the city... Attorneys should have been doing and all of these congressmen and all of these activist groups in the city of Baltimore, what they should have been doing was saying, hey, how do we talk to our citizens in Baltimore who look like us, who live where we live? How do we talk to them and say, hey, get rid of your guns. Hey, let's stop this inner city crime. Hey, let's stop this black on black crime. That's what. Marilyn Mosby and all of these other people who became famous because of Freddie Gray, because no one had ever heard of them before that. That's what those people should have been doing, because had they been doing that in 2015, I assure you in 2017, they wouldn't have ended with 343 murders in Baltimore. And I don't know if you've ever been to Baltimore, but it's really not that big. It's not really that big of a place. You may have seen the show The Wire that used to come on HBO. That's really Baltimore. A lot of row housing and a lot of alleys and stuff like that. It's not 
a metropolitan city like Atlanta or New York or even a Chicago, it's Baltimore. But to have a murder rate that high, it doesn't speak to the actions of the police. It speaks to the actions of those that live there. But yet police take the blame for it. And here we are, second day of 2018, and Baltimore's already off to a bad start because they had two murders on yesterday. Two murders on the first day of the year, January 1st, when most people should be at home, hungover, trying to recoup from their partying the night before, not in the city of Baltimore, which at this rate, if we're already at two on the first day of the year, may exceed the 343 in 2018. Two men died in shootings Monday afternoon, marking the city's first homicides of 2018. The killings come as the city continues to struggle to curb violence. Baltimore saw the highest numbers of killings per capita in 2017. Police were called about 3.40 p.m., 3.40 p.m. This didn't even happen at night. 3.40 p.m. Last I checked, the sun's still out at 3.40 p.m. Police were called at about 3.40 p.m. to the 2000 block of Eagle Street, again, Baltimore, very small, in the Carrollton Ridge neighborhood in South Baltimore for a shooting. Officers found an unidentified man who was suffering from a gunshot wound to the neck. He was taken to Maryland, uh, shock trauma, where he died a short time later. After two hours, officers were called to a parking lot in the 5100 block of Goodnow Road, Officers found two men who had been shot sitting in a white infinity, likely drug related. That's not what the article says, but based on my experience, when people are usually in cars and they're shot, it was probably a drug deal going bad. But anyway, a 30 year old in the driver's seat had gunshot wounds to the head and torso and was pronounced dead a short time later. The passenger had been shot in the hip. He was taken to area hospital His injury is not life-threatening, police said. So in theory, on the first day of 2018, there were almost three murders in the city of Baltimore. Three. Two guys sitting in a car, again, likely drug-related, and one other guy at 3.40 in the afternoon shot in the neck where he died. So how is this a police issue Versus a crime and an illegal gun issue. How is this the police's fault already that there were almost three murders in the city of Baltimore because they're not being proactive and they're not going out and finding these bad guys? Because, again, once they do that, you guys are being unfair to us. You guys are patrolling the black neighborhoods for no reason. That's what the DOJ said, that you guys stop and frisk us that you guys do this, that you guys do that. So the minute police do that, then there's a problem. But the minute they don't do that, people are getting shot in cars and parking lots. People are getting shot in the neck at 3.40 in the afternoon. So what is the real issue here? The real issue really is the city of Baltimore has a problem. And it's not the men and women in uniform that's the problem in the city of Baltimore. The problem is, very small square mile mile footage with a lot of people involved in drugs and gangs and robberies and things of that nature. 
And until the city sees that, until the elected officials in the city of Baltimore sees that, I assure you their murder rate will continue to grow and grow. Now, once they give the police the power back and the authority back, and most importantly, most importantly, the support as in, hey, officer friendly, if you are out doing your job and during the course of that job, you have to use force. And during the course of that job, you even have to use deadly force. We will support you as long as everything you did was in line with the law, in line with your training, in line with department policy, and in line with the use of force continuum. Until the city of Baltimore and the elected officials tell their police officers that, and not only tell them that, they actually back it up, the city of Baltimore will be the next Chicago in the next three years. If you don't believe me, mark my words, because they're at 343 murders. I think Chicago ended somewhere in the sixes. So they're not far behind. They're about 50% there already. So if that doesn't happen in the next few years, Baltimore will be the next Chicago when it comes to their murder rate. Mark my words. All right, I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to talk about this uh, swatting incident that happened uh, in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, I believe it happened uh, a few days ago. I I think it was before uh, New Year's Eve. And for those that are not familiar with swatting, it's a term, uh, and I'd forgot about it because it hasn't really happened in a while, but it's a term where these gamers that usually play Call of Duty will actually call the police and report a crime going on at the people they're playing online against. So, for instance, if I was playing online with someone and I knew your address, I'd call the police and say, hey, there has been a shooting with hostages and you guys need to send police over there. So typically when police hear the word shooting and hostage, they don't just send Barney Fife over there. They usually send the guys that are well-trained and well-equipped, i.e. SWAT, to go handle these situations. So, of course, the Wichita 911 dispatch receives a call from who they believe at this point is a suspect in a shooting who says his mom and dad were arguing. He shot his dad in the head. He's not breathing. He has his mother and his brother at gunpoint in the closet somewhere in the house, and he's poured gasoline all over the house, and he's armed with the weapon. So I'm going to play just a little bit of this 911 call, and then we'll talk about what happened once police arrived, once SWAT arrived. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. They were arguing and I shot him in the head and he's not breathing anymore. Okay, so what's going on right now? Are you there? Yeah. Okay, do you have any weapons on you? Yeah, I do. What kind of weapons do you have? Um, a handgun. What kind of handgun is it? I don't know, it's my dad. I'm just pointing the gun at them, making sure they stay in the closet. My mom and my little brother. Okay, is there any way you can put the gun up? No. Are you guys sending someone over here? Because then I'm definitely not going to put it away. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and stay on the phone with you, okay? That's fine. 
until he gets here, or? As long as you need me to, okay? Yeah, I'm thinking about, um, because I already poured gasoline all over the house. I might just set it on fire. Okay, well, we don't need to do that, okay? All right, so that was the audio, right, from this 911 call. That was what's known as the call taker. She relays the information, and a lot of times it will get sent to a dispatcher's screen, and the dispatcher will dispatch the call out to police. Now, you heard what I just heard. This is a legit 911 call. This is not made up. It's legit. Guy calls. I shot my dad in the head. He's not breathing. I got my mom and my brother at gunpoint in the closet, making sure they don't come out. I poured gas on the, the whole house, and I might set it on fire. So, again, you don't send Barney Fife to those types of calls. You send SWAT. You send those guys heavily trained. Now, you may send uh, some patrol officers there to try to secure the scene until SWAT can immobilize, but a lot of times in smaller communities like Wichita, SWAT can mobilize just as fast as patrol can. So, of course, what happens? SWAT shows up, and after that, there's body cam uh, footage of it, which I will post on my Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. It's body cam footage of it. Uh, an individual inside the home who was a male comes out. Now, we know the 911 caller was a male. An individual that exits the house is a male. And I don't know. His mom says he heard a noise and he opened the door. I don't know if he saw the blue lights or maybe the noise he heard was, hey, police, come out with your hands up, whatever. So he comes to the door. Uh, there's some yelling back, well, with the police, show me your hands, show me your hands, don't move. And at some point, in the again, the body cam is from across the street, so it's kind of hard to see, but when they zoom in and play it in slow motion, you can see some type of movement where it appears the individual, the male at the door, is reaching towards his waistband. And, of course, given what police were told, given the fact that it was this address, given the fact that it was a male and he had already shot someone, he had two people at gunpoint, he was going to set the house on fire, and he made a furtive movement, which police believe he was reaching for a gun. They did what they're trained to do. They shot and eliminated what they thought was the threat. Only problem, of course, there was really no crime going on at the house. There was no hostages. Uh, the dad wasn't shot. Uh, so it was this horrible prank of uh, swatting. So the call actually came from someone in Los Angeles. And the, the sad part in this, the irony is, not only did police shoot an unarmed man who had nothing to do with this, the individual that uh, called was actually having this online dispute about Call of Duty or whatever game it was with someone else. And that individual gave him a fake address, which ended up being the address to where the police shooting happened. And I can't remember the address offhand. It's in the entire 911 call. It's one of those names and one of those street numbers where it could have really been anyone's house, right? Like in Atlanta, there's a peach tree everywhere. So if you would have said, I'm at 4335 peach tree, chances are somebody lives on peach tree street at 4335 in the city of Atlanta. And it was one of those, it wasn't like my address, which is very long. It's got like four words in it and eight letters. It's a very long address. It was a common address. So 
whoever the other individual was that gave the fake address just made some crap up. And this guy, for whatever reason, decided to call Wichita, Kansas police and do that awful prank, which ended up very, very horrible. So after police figured out what was going on and figured out there were no victims in the house, of course, they start backtracking and finally track down the 911 call. It actually came from now. Keep in mind, this happened in Wichita. The 911 call actually came from Los Angeles, California. So police were able to obtain where that call came from. They arrested 25-year-old Tyler Barris uh, on a fugitive warrant. I assume he's going to be extradited to Kansas to face second-degree murder charges, which rightfully so he should because it was his actions that led to the death of the individual shot inside that home. And apparently back in 2015, this Tyler Bears was arrested for calling in a fake bomb somewhere. And it looks like he's got some other charges uh, from way back when, uh, where he's basically done the same type of thing before. Uh, So that begs the question, do these types of offenses need to be considered uh, felonies? Because I know if you lie to police, make a false police report, in most states, most cities, most counties, it's a misdemeanor. I mean, when you're looking at the, the fact that he did this uh, numerous times, or especially calling in a bomb, uh, you would assume that would be a federal offense, given what's going on with the whole post 9-11 uh, thing going on. You would assume that would not only be a felony, but be a federal offense. But apparently it isn't. But I'm sure that's something as this conversation goes along lawmakers will definitely uh, be talking about, you know, regarding this case. Uh, so, you know, I read an article um, where someone posted it today, as a matter of fact, and Scott uh, Shackford, I don't even know who this is, but the headline of the article said, here's a novel idea. Hold both the caller and the police officer responsible for the deadly swatting. Now, I knew it'd be a matter of time where somebody who's never done the job of policing and probably is very liberal would come out and want to blame this on the police. And here's where I have a huge issue with that. Because that officer that pulled the trigger was given the information that you just heard on that 911 call was given the information that there was already one deceased. Two people were being held hostage. There were guns. You heard the caller, the 911 caller, who we now know as Tyler Barris. You heard him say, no, I'm not going to put down the gun, and I might set the house on fire. So the number one function of police, protect and serve. So when they thought that this individual was going for a gun, they were protecting and serving the two who they believed at the time, given that split second that everyone wants to come back and question a million times later, given that split second, they thought they were protecting and serving a mother and a son and possibly the entire house, the structure of that house, and possibly the father because just because the call said he was shot not breathing and shot in the head, I've known people that have survived headshots doesn't mean that they're necessarily dead. 
But if the house goes up in flames and you're unconscious, chances are you die. So police, given what they had, responded based on what they believed in that split second was a threat, an imminent threat against either their lives or the lives of others. So I have a huge problem with this article where it says hold both the caller, which I agree with 100 percent, and police officer responsible for the deadly death. Now, granted, it's tragic. Granted, the individual that was shot was unarmed. Granted, he was shot in front of his family. They were in the house. All of that is very, very, very tragic. But the person that I would charge next, really in this situation, if it's not coming, it should be, would be the other individual that purposely gave this address. Whether his intentions were for someone to die or not, the fact is, his actions over a stupid-ass video game, his actions and Tyler Barris's actions led to the death of that individual in that house. We can't play the blame game on the police because whoever this Scott Shackford is must not have ever been in a life-or-death situation. He must not have ever gotten a call, and I can sure assure you he hasn't, where you've been told there's a gun on the scene. He must not have ever had someone point a gun at him ever in his life. Well, I can tell you, I have done all of the above. It's not a fun sight, and given the circumstances, and given the information police had, and given my training, I honestly can't say if I would have acted any different than the officer that took the fatal shot. It was one shot, and it was over. I can't say I would have acted any different than the officer that took the shot based on the information that was relayed to me by my dispatcher based on a 911 call. This wasn't a random act where police just knocked on this door in Wichita, Kansas, ran back across the street before they answered the door, waited for the guy to come out, and then shot him. That was not the case. Police had a legal right, a legal right because that's what they do. They answer calls for service. This was a huge call for service and help and everything else going on. And that's how they responded. They responded accordingly. Nothing they did was with malice. Nothing they did was illegal. Nothing they did was unethical. So to say to hold this officer responsible to me is just asinine. And I would say Scott Shackford, whoever wrote this article, has no clue of what it's like to be on the front lines of danger. But he'd be the first one to call police, probably to call police if he needed help, if the shit hit the fan and his life was in danger. He ain't calling Ghostbusters. He's probably not calling Jesus. He might call him. But I guarantee he's still going to call 911. But yet he's saying this police officer should be held liable for this individual's death. Ah, nah, I'm not buying that. Now, of course, we all know that the city will eventually financially compensate this family. That goes without saying. We all know that. 
that's going to happen. But to try to hold this police officer responsible, try to charge him with murder and try to do this and try to get him to lose his job and all of that other stuff, I don't agree with because there's probably not an officer out there who will tell you they would have reacted any different based on what that officer perceived at that moment. It's just not going to happen. All right, I got to take us out to Colorado. And a very sad thing that happened New Year's Eve, uh, four deputy sheriffs were shot. One actually killed in the line of duty deputy Zachary Parrish uh, in an ambush style attack. Now, the sad part about this ambush is the signs were there for six weeks. This guy had been making threats against police and just talking random stuff. And the city uh, had tipped off the sheriff about these tips. And he actually named the actual sheriff uh, in uh, Douglas County Sheriff in a lot of these random Facebook posts that he was doing. Uh, so New Year's Eve, I believe he called 911, the shooter, who 37-year-old Matthew Rail, an Army veteran who had served in Iraq, uh, he called police to the home, 911 style. I think he made up a fact that there was some domestic disturbance going on inside the home. And as police approached, uh, he shot them through his window, his apartment window, ambush style. Uh, and the sad part is, and I hope this footage never gets out there because quite frankly, I don't want to see it. The sad part is uh, he posted it live on his periscope while he was shooting these deputies and killing one. I don't know how many followers this guy had and I say had because he is now dead as excuse my French he should be because you were shooting at police and they shot back and they killed you and I don't know how many periscope periscope followers he had uh, but he was live streaming this as it took place and I, again I hope this footage never gets out because that's something uh, you know the family of uh, Deputy Zachary Parrish definitely does not need to see. Uh, so, you know, it, it begs the question. Uh, and, you know, just like I talked about with Barris and, you know, should making these false reports be a felony and should they be federal? It begs the question, you know, should, and I know a lot of people will say it violates people's civil liberties and all of this stuff. But, you know, when you're getting warned by other agencies about people making threats, yeah, at some point, does it become illegal? Now, granted, yeah, we can get on social media and we can post whatever the heck we want to do because that's our First Amendment right. We can say or do whatever we want to do and say, all right? But at some point, do we have to start asking, man, if someone's making these types of threats against officials, law enforcement, the sheriff, if they're making these types of threats... Should it be a crime? Should that person go to jail? Because I assure you, and if you don't believe me, try it out. <laughs> you go ahead and make a public threat against the president and see if the feds in black suits don't show up at your door. I'll go even one further. Go ahead on a phone call on a landline or maybe even a cell phone and say the words assassination and president Anywhere in that conversation, they don't have to be 
next to each other. I'm going to assassinate the prez. No, no, no. You can say assassination, and five minutes later, you can say the word president, and I guarantee somebody has picked up on that, and I guarantee they're looking. So if we have all of this technology, we have all the warning signs there, why can't we send officers out? See, this is real. This isn't a fake 911 call. This is real. Why can't we send officers out to investigate before this thing happens? Because this is something this guy planned for quite some time. And since he was the one that called 911, and since he was the one already prepared to do what he did, he got the advantage over the officers. But if the officers would have been able to show up and catch this guy at his apartment or catch him at his job or in the parking lot or somewhere and catch him off guard and say, hey, we need to talk to you about these threats, then I think it would have ended different. And again, I I get it. A lot of people will say it infringes on your civil liberties and your First Amendment. I get it. But at the same time, People always tell you, well, if you see something that looks suspicious, that could be terroristic, please, if you see something, say something, because it can protect you and it can protect the citizens. Well, it's the same thing here. If you see something, say something. Because I assure you, this guy wasn't only doing this stuff on social media. There was some friend that he talked to, some coworker that he talked to, somebody that he talked to that they probably listened to him and said, this some bitch is crazy. But they never said anything. They never tipped off police to say, hey, man, I think this guy's going to try to kill you guys. It never happened. And now you have one deputy dead, three injured, and two civilians that were shot. They were probably just in the parking lot trying to get to their apartment or to their car. And they got caught in the crossfire of this sicko Because nobody spoke up and nobody heeded the warnings that were out there. But we're not in that society. Over the last year and a half, police have been ambushed after ambush after ambush. We're not in that day and age where we can just take these types of things lightly. In my opinion, we have to act on that. We have to act on that. I'll go back to Dallas. And the five police officers that were shot there and the individual that shot them months and weeks before was posting the same type of stuff on his social media. And he was doing all these videos of how white people need to die and how police are the enemy and all of this. And people saw it and no one said anything. And look what he did. So people saw this in Colorado. Again, he talked to someone. He didn't just post this on his social media. He talked to someone, someone that knew this dude talked to him. And I assure you, they said this some bitch is crazy, but they probably thought nothing else of it because they probably just thought, oh, he's got he's a, a, a veteran and he's probably just off his rocker and yada, yada, yada. But we, we can't do that because I go back to Dallas. The individual that did that, guess what? He was an army veteran. We can't do that. These signs are real. 
and people need to be held accountable for the things they're saying when it involves a threat to officials, period. There's no other way around it. There's no other way to prevent it than doing exactly that. And with that, it's time for my 10-7 segment. And for my first time listener since this is 2018, as you know, in police jargon, 10-7 means end of tour, end of watch. So it's only fitting that I honor an officer killed in the line of duty, and I sentiment that with 10-7. So, of course, based on what we just talked about, the deputy that I honor tonight, Deputy Sheriff Zachary Parrish, Douglas County Sheriff's Office, Douglas County, Colorado. Deputy uh, Sheriff Zachary Parrish was shot and killed after responding to a disturbance call at an apartment complex at 3404 East County Lane Road in Highlands Ranch, Colorado at approximately 5.15 a.m. Deputy Parrish and other deputies were speaking to the occupants of the apartment when one of them barricaded himself inside a bedroom. The man opened fire with a rifle, killing Deputy Parrish and wounding three other deputies. The three deputies were able to retreat to safety. Responding officers, including SWAT, re-entered the apartment to rescue Deputy Parrish. Yes, you heard that right. Deputy Parrish was still inside the apartment, dead, and he had to be retrieved by other officers. The subject inside opened fire on the officers, wounding a Castle Rock police officer before being shot and killed. The subject fired over 100 rounds during the incident wounding two citizens in addition to shooting the officers. Deputy Parrish had served with the Douglas County Sheriff's Office for seven months and had previously served with the Castle Rock Police Department for two years. He is survived by his wife and two children. Now, again, keep in mind, this happened on New Year's Eve. So this wife, these two kids, entered into the new year with the loss of her husband, and the loss of their father. And that is definitely not a way anyone would want to start a new year. So to Zachary Parrish, Godspeed to you, sir. Thank you for your service. Thank you for being so brave. Thank you for all that you did for the community of Douglas County and for Castle Rock. My prayers to your family especially your children. God bless you. I want to thank you for listening to my very first show of 2018. You can catch me right here next week, Beyond the Badge, on RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is Jim Fannin, America's Zone Coach, and I'm excited about bringing my new podcast, The Jim Fannin Show, to RadioInfluence.com. Each week, we're going to talk about the zone and how this mindset can help you in all facets of your life. I'll give you all the tools you need to change your life and help guide you to become your genuine, authentic best self with the only proven blueprint for attracting the zone mindset 
I've helped transform millions of lives. In my 40 years of experience, I've coached CEOs and senior executives from 350 of the Fortune 500 companies in 50 different industries. I've coached professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hall of Famers, all pros, all stars, entertainers, and so many more to help them gain the tools and techniques to create a life of simplicity, balance, and abundance. And now it's my privilege to bring these methods to you every week, along with some of my champion good friends as special guests. If you want to get in the zone in all you do, check out the Jim Fannin Show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 